Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Undying Light. I am your host, as always, Alex, and I am with you as we continue this walk through the Old Testament. Now, I've mentioned on prior episodes that this is a very high-level view. I am not covering every little jot and tittle, every little verse that would speak to it, because all you have to do is go through the Psalms, and there's tons and tons of verses there that speak towards um, the promised Savior talks about God's judgment, uh, and it's all, there's a lot of eschatological um, text in Scripture in the Psalms. Please, I encourage you to spend some time and invest your studies into uh, reading through the Old Testament and the New Testament and grabbing some good books along the way. Um, the Gerard uh, Voss books have been fantastic for me, and there's plenty others. Uh, and and even good just good commentator uh, script uh, books are are helpful in this. So I highly encourage you to invest time into studying this topic because this is it is far deeper than what a simple podcast like mine can actually bring you to. But uh, I've mentioned it on last week's episode. Today we're going to look at uh, uh, Ezekiel, we're going to primarily look at chapters 38 and 39 here. Now, Ezekiel has a lot of prophecy in it, and it is a fascinating book. Uh, I was actually blessed to join the Bible Dingers on an episode where we did a overview of the book of Ezekiel. So I er encourage you to go listen to that to give you some context to what the book is about. And we walked through kind of uh, a high level of what each... uh, uh, portion uh, entails. So please check that out. Bible Dingers, Book of Ezekiel, and they have gone through all of the Old Testament. So good stuff there. Now, I'm not going to spend time going through each and every prophecy in Ezekiel. We're going to just primarily look at 38 and 39 um, uh, for today's episode. And then uh, if, if time permits, we will start looking at Daniel uh, as well to wrap this up because this will kind of be a, a semi two-parter episode because next week we're going to focus on Daniel and then we might wrap back around and look at some of the Psalms as well because I feel like there's some really interesting scripture in that chunk uh, there so we're going to look at that as well if we have time but these are the last two episodes in November and then we are going to be concluding our duration in the Old Testament and then we will uh, do the Christmas series as I've promised and I think we're going to have a special Christmas Day episode um, that I will drop Christmas morning. So I'm very excited for that. I'm uh, in the process of working with somebody to do a joint episode. So we'll have kind of a uh, small celebration on the birth of Christ. So very excited for that. Um, just a, a few pieces. So I've been talking a lot uh, on my Instagram page for those who follow me there on becoming a Patreon, those who support this ministry. So 
I highly encourage you to watch the video I did in my, um, I also put a story up so you can uh, be, you know, go right to it. It's in my IGTV uh, slot as well. So check that out. I talked for about 30 minutes on some of the things that I do for the Patreons and how it's not necessarily about the financial piece, but it's more uh, about building this community and building a, a family uh, of believers and bringing them together. And it's a blessing to see how these um, these folks have come together and have built friendships with each other and pray for each other and love on each other and encourage each other and just have great conversations with each other. And I can just sit back and smile knowing all of the things uh, that are going on there. So I'm very, very blessed to have this community that surrounds me. So I encourage you to check those out. If you have any questions, DM me and uh, we can talk. But um, that's, you know, the, the biggest thing that keeps this ministry going is those who support this financially because it's not cheap or easy to fund a podcast. And it takes a lot of time um, from me to pour into these shows. Uh, and I would love to continue to produce content. And I think the way I'm starting to shape this up is the more and more I move into a full-time ministry role, um, I would love to pour into this ministry more and more. So um, being able to produce content daily, whether it's, you know, a short video or maybe even do, you know, a few more episodes a month on Undying Light. Those are things that I'm really looking at and considering. And so there's a lot of things that I do on the background and a lot of things that I don't, you know, bring forth to uh, the, you know, even just to the regular listeners of the show. So I would encourage you if you are looking to, you know, throw a dollar away a month, throw it towards this ministry and you won't be discouraged uh, or disappointed. Uh, I, I am greatly appreciated of everything that the people who have done uh, for me financially have blessed me and have encouraged this ministry to move forward. So thank you. Uh, and the other aspect too, is I put up a story the other day on my Instagram page uh, as I record this and I had made the mention that I would like to do a big giveaway strictly for the Patreon. So I've kind of moved away from just doing global giveaways on my IG page, um, mainly because it's um, it just takes so much to you know track down a thousand comments or whatever it may be and pick a winner out of it. Even though there's software and stuff out there that I can do use, but uh, I'm looking at doing strictly Patreon only giveaways. Um, so when we hit 50 Patreons, we are going to do a premium Bible giveaway. Uh, when we hit 100, I think I'm going to do a Logos Bible software giveaway. So just some of the things that I'm debating on doing with the uh, within that little ministry itself. So like I said, if you listen to the show and you want to help contribute, that's a uh, good way to get involved and and really join a community of of like-minded believers and uh, I'll tell you what, they have blessed me, you know, beyond anything that money could ever do because money is just a tool for me to use this. But their love and their support has been um, unmeasurable. And, and I absolutely love it. So uh, I really thank you, for, even, you know, for, for all that. And, and even if you don't want to become of that, I do appreciate you listening because, you know, again, sharing this and listening continues this ministry's growth. So. That's it. Uh, it really in housekeeping, obviously you can get a copy of Logos Bible software, which I have pulled up on my screen. If you're looking at a good tool to get into, uh, Bible studies and commentaries and you get dictionaries and things like that. So, I mean, there's so much to Logos. Um, I would highly encourage you, you know, reach out to me and we can have a conversation to, uh, if you're kind of on the fence on what you want to, you know, if you want to get a good Bible software. And obviously, Undying Light merch. I'm wearing my my Undying Light shirt right now as I record this. Um, and we have all of the merch available on uh, our merch store. It's not really my website. It's through Bonfire. But uh, what it is is uh, you can go there and you can order any of the Undying Light gear. And it'll get printed and shipped to you up per order. So all of those links are in my bio. So make sure you check them out. All right, so that's that's the housekeeping stuff. Um, 
you know, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about that because I feel like it takes away from the premise of the show. And I, I really am trying to invest more time into the content, the meat of the shows and really around what's going on in the ministry versus just, you know, uh, those three elements. And I think those three elements will always be, um, kind of talking points for me because, you know, supporting this ministry, uh, whether it's through buying shirts or through the logos or even being a, a monthly contributor through Patreon help this show really move forward into the end of the future. And I don't have any, um, I don't have any intentions on slowing down. I'm going to continue producing weekly episodes uh, until I cannot speak anymore. I love the word of God so much. And I love talking about the word of God so much that this is going to be maybe my part-time job when I move into ministry. Um, because I just, I can, I just cannot fathom not doing this type of work for you guys. And I love it. And I love doing the research and spending time um, reading and digging into this text and, and, and looking at it. So uh, I said today, we're going to talk about Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39, but I, I, I don't want to miss um, this, this one piece um, that is a thread kind of woven through the old Testament. So if we remember back to the episode on Genesis one, two, and three, let's go back. Let's move our minds back a few weeks. I made a mention in that episode that all eschatology is a looking forward to something, right? Now, the proper, and I use air quotes, definition of eschatology is the study of the end of time. Well, what does the end of times entail? It entails Jesus Christ. So all eschatology is looking forward to a moment of with Christ. Now, the Old Testament, it's a looking forward to the promised Messiah. In the New Testament, it is looking forward to the return of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. Now, we can talk about, you know, all of the, you know, elements of how things will end, whether it's through the seven-year tribulation or or not. That's things we discussed on the uh, Four Views series, portion of the series, so you can go back and listen to those. We're not talking about that. But what we are going to look at here in the Old Testament is this common thread woven through all of these promises. Now, as I mentioned um, in the Abraham, Sodom, and Exodus show, and ah, I'm trying to think here how, how many, where we're all at and everything. Oh, and the day of the Lord. I'm sorry. So I'm, I'm, re, I'm recording them you know, weeks in it before launch time. So I'm trying to put into my mind is how I launch these for you. But when I did the day of the Lord episode, I talked and I, I think I even did it in the first Genesis one, but we talked about how, uh, uh, about typology. And we very briefly talked about that. Now that's a very in-depth conversation. It's a very in-depth topic and it's one that's quite fascinating. So I highly recommend you go and study that as well as eschatology. So with typology, we get this um, uh, greater and less than element, right? We have a less than character coming, bringing to us something. Uh, in the case of the garden, it was Adam. And then in the case of the kingship of Israel, it was David. Um, these are just two of the many, but they all pointed us to the greater Adam, the greater David, and that is Jesus Christ. And so that is what I kind of really wanted to touch briefly on is the typology that is centered around David, uh, the Davidic promise. Now, we have this um, movement through the Old Testament surrounding uh, the coming Messiah. And we've talked about that on a, prior, a few prior episodes. And, and it gets you know, a bigger promise, a bigger niche, if you would, in uh, the Davidic promise. And that is that there will be a greater king than David. Now, the Israel, the Israelites thought that David was like the bee's knees, right? He he was 
the best king, even though he had a few issues and he committed some heinous sins, um, you know, for all that for a different episode. I mean, David was still a man. He still needed a savior. And you can really read about his struggles, his highs and his lows. You go through the Psalms and because uh, he wrote a majority of them. And so I really encourage you to do such. And like I said, we might touch on it on a few of his uh, writings in, in next week's episode if we have the time. But I really, you know, when we really look at David, what we are seeing is another, you know, a, another type to, of the greater king to come. David ruled uh, Israel well, but Christ will rule his people, the church, perfectly. David wasn't a perfect king, but Christ is the perfect king. So it's just one little niche, right, in in this vast sea of scripture that we can pick from, that uh, we have this little bit of typology in David to Christ, but we have this beautiful eschatology story of David looking forward toward the coming Messiah, and that is Christ. So as we as we venture into the next couple of weeks here today and next week, we'll look at some of that text um, from the Psalms, like I said, probably next week. Um, but it's not exhaustive, right? This this little series is far from being concluded um, in in these few episodes. I think by the time I'm done, we'll have eight episodes on the Old Testament. There's just so much. Maybe maybe it's six. I think. Um, I apologize. My numbers are completely off. I'm a little foggy, foggy brain right now. So uh, this is not exhausting. That there's so much more content that can be done. There's, I mean, massive amounts of volumes and works have been poured into this. But really, what I want to try to do is take some of the biggest misconceptions from the old testament in regards to eschatology and try to paint maybe just a little bit easier picture maybe something a little bit more understandable instead of you know how everything relates towards this you know moment in time that we are currently in and how everything shouldn't be a a, a panic moment for us that we can still find comfort that god's word is true and even if we are approaching you know, a time when Christ may return. If that is here, then we should rest and be comforted knowing that he is sovereign and he is in control. And that's really what we need to be resting in. And so um, I've been trying to dig into some of this text and really help us to understand where it is that this is coming from. And, and we we'll try to, with you know, doing it without um, putting on that or hitting that panic button or creating some sort of, you know, like I'm trying to not take this text and shove it into one of the four views or um, take one of the views and specifically, you know, place myself into that camp and say, well, because I am this, then this text means that. Uh, what I'm trying to do is is remove the four views from my eyesight and say, okay, if I'm looking at this text, what is it really trying to tell me? And how can we, you know, uh, bite into this and, and hold on to it for what it truly means? So, as I mentioned, you know, we, we've got the, uh, the Davidic promise that points us towards Christ, the greater king, the greater David. It's a little bit of some eschatology there. Um, but we're going to primarily look at now Ezekiel 38, 39, because that's what I really want this episode to focus on are these two chapters. So, I have my Bible pulled up. I am going to get Ezekiel 38 in the ESV brought up. And we will just read through it. Uh, and then we'll discuss the portions of this text. And uh, and then as follows. Like I said, uh, this is not a exhaustive, exegetical portion of this text. I mean, there's 23 verses in this in this chapter 38 alone. So, uh, you know, you could write books on this particular chapter and still probably not exhaust everything. So 
Here we go. 38 verse one. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshullah and uh, Tubal and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshullah and Tubal. And I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws. And I will bring you out and all of your army and horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host of all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Persia, Cush, and Put are all with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomar and his hordes, Beth Togomar and the uttermost parts of the north and all of his hordes. Many peoples are with you. Be ready and keep ready, you and all of your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will stand, you will go against them. The land is restored from war. The land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which have been continual waste. Its peoples brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance, coming in like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. You and you, all of your hordes and many people with you. Okay, so that's just the first nine verses. There's a ton going on here. And again, there's, you know, there's a lot more. There's, you know, 13 more verses to, to go through. And, um, but we're going to kind of pause here and we're going to look at what, uh, kind of this, this portion of the text. And then we're going to just kind of, uh, highlight through the rest of 20, uh, 38. And we're going to kind of ensure that we really dig into this text and see what it really, uh, what it really means. Uh, and if we can't, you know, or, you know, what, what can we draw out of this for ourselves and how does this kind of play into this series? All right. So first of all, what we want to kind of understand is who is God? And what is Magog? There, this is, this has been the height of much controversy, intense debate, investigations, and speculations uh, from Jewish and Christian culture. Uh, you would be, uh, it, I would be shocked if you were to speak to anybody about an eschatological view. They don't bring up Gog and Magog. Furthermore, if you go to any sort of end of times website, you will see this language just everywhere. You will see people debating and talking about this figure and, and in this particular country, as it were, um, in reference to like Russia or maybe, you know, Iraq or some other Middle Eastern country that is looking to bring either war against Israel or interestingly enough, war against America. Because somehow, and, and here's where I'm going to basically say if you come across somebody who is talking about the end of times and they have like, they put the United States like in the middle of something. I'm going to tell you to not follow that. view. Don't invest your time and your studies into listening to that person. None of this has anything to do with the United States. Most of this is in reference. And there's really two points of perspective uh, with, with who, uh, this Gog is. Now, we can say that he's a ruler of a land, and that land is Magog. Um, so it could be in reference to a, a Gygus, a 7th century king of Lydia in Asia, in Asia Minor. That's one speculation. Another is Alexander the Great, which ruled uh, from 356 to 323 BC. So that is two of the speculations. And there's, pro again, there's many, many more out there that people 
try to utilize this text to paint a picture for people today saying that, you know, well, this is going to happen against the United States. But again, when we get into eschatology, context is king. Is, you know, Ezekiel writing about the United States in this book? No, he is writing to Israel. And so a lot of this is painted as either uh, a close to the future, you know, attack, or is it something that has greater distance down the road? Is it something that, uh, you know, is a more futuristic attack against Israel? Now, there's been plenty of attacks over time against Israel, and the land has been, you know, we know that just by reading the Old Testament, we see the, the rise and falls of kings and the rise and fall of judges. We understand that Israel has a lot of issues. And, you know, really until only recent history, um, was Israel really still under bondage? I believe it was in 48, 1948, that they were recognized finally as a nation. So up until that period, even after uh fall of Jerusalem in the year 71, uh, there was, again, continual turmoil for the Israelites. So in regards to Gog and Magog, um, they're often seen as leaders uh, of of opposing nations. Um, And you can read this uh, by uh, Israel, a Jewish historian named Josephus. Uh, he has pinned a lot of history um, on the uh, on the Jewish people, and uh, in, in reality, actually even talks about Christ. So he's a you know another uh, person outside of the Bible to give recognition to the man Jesus Christ. So interesting to um, dig into that. Now moving into or moving on from that, I should say, you know. Placing Gog and Magog onto a particular nation is really difficult um, because we don't really get this picture clearly illustrated for us in the Old Testament. Uh, And even then, if we look towards the New Testament, which we will be covering when we get to Revelation, um, Gog and Magog are brought back up. They're names of nations led by Satan to attack Jerusalem at the end of the thousand years. Revelation 20, verse 8. Again, a text we will be discussing and covering. So... Um, now the geographical names, you know, other geographical names in this passage can be identified as we looked at, uh, in verse five and verse six, uh, Gog and Magog kind of still remain a little elusive for us. Um, there's really no definitive point or nation that this text is referring to. So that's really just looking at the first verse, right? We have to paint this picture of who this these these leaders are obviously we we don't have um, any context to say who and what they are. Now we can get down to verse two and say that uh, the Gog and Magog attack pointing us uh, to a final war between God and His enemies. So verse two, um, the son of man. Set your face forward, Gog of the land of Magog, the prophecy against him. So this is, again, you know, looking at a a coming battle. Uh, we see that kind of then spelt out a little bit better for us in verse 3. Uh, but And then carrying on through the rest of this, this little section here. Um, now, some people tie this back to Revelation chapter 20. And as I had mentioned um, in prior episodes, that some of these Old Testament texts, which we won't cover, uh, will come will come around again, uh, or will we'll come around for the first time in the New Testament studies. But some of this stuff will come around um, time and time again, especially this text in Ezekiel uh, and the text in Daniel. We'll be will be covering kind of twice as we look at them head on, and then as we look on look at them from the way the New Testament authors bring us back to this text. So now, if we look at uh, verse 5, we actually get a nation here, um, a couple of nations that seem a little bit familiar. We have Persia, Cush, and Put. 
and um, these are in the regions of Ethiopia. Um, Put is actually identified with uh, Libya, and uh, these are Gog's allies, and they are described as terms of analogous to those in Tyre and Together, this passage depicts enemies coming against Israel from all sides. So what the picture is being painted as, we can look at Israel's coming under judgment and all of the enemies that God is bringing forward will come from all sides. There will not be essentially any safe haven for Israel on on this pinpoint. And as we know by hopefully reading the Old Testament, Israel has threats everywhere. Uh, this is nothing new. They come from, you know, uh, all sides. We see it, you know, especially from the north that is illustrated in a slew of texts in uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, all sorts of texts. And so we, we get that there's threats just about everywhere for from Israel. Uh, so let's jump down. We're going to look at verse 6 and, uh, and talk about Nomer and his hordes. Uh, probably a group in the area north of the Black Sea uh, known as the Assyrians. Um, so Gog leads this coalition of seven nations from the south into the north. This picture is the total mobilization against the people of God. Yet even this act of cosmic rebellion, still, obviously we should know, is completely under God's sovereign control. He brings these nations with hooks in their jaws as one might direct the uh, the steps of a captured crocodile. Interesting analogy there. But it's, you know, when I look at this and I'm saying, you know, that all this is still under God's sovereign control. Nothing that happens to Israel or has happened to Israel is uh, without, you know, prior input from God. He is fully in control. So there's uh, continued on here. You know, we we see this this battle really starting to unfold here uh, in verses ten and forward. Um. We jump down to verse 17. He of whom I spoke. Uh, Gog is not one the one mentioned in the earlier prophecies describing a foe from the north. Uh, these prophecies are completely fulfilled by Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of Jerusalem instead of coming up to be an agent of divine wrath against Israel, Gog himself to be destroyed by the same wrath. So I, I think this is interesting too that sometimes God will use enemies to come against Israel and then destroy the enemies as punishment. So, you know, it, it's just reading the Old Testament. It's just absolutely fascinating how God utilizes, you know, outside nations. Uh, God himself is and will be Israel's defender. Uh, in the passages, uh, of verses 18 through 23, uh, they describe the appearance of God as the divine warrior. The prophets commonly speak of a corresponding convulsion into the created order. Um, <clears throat> so this is, again, text that can allude to the coming Messiah, that Christ is the Savior. Now, we know that Jesus didn't come as a, as a warrior. He didn't come to relinquish Israel from the bondage of the Romans. But Christ came in as a warrior of a different stature. Now, this text... You know, in 38 would probably for Israel start to make us think that, well, Christ is coming to be their king, their warrior king, one that would defeat the armies of Gog and Magog and Gomar and Persia and Cush and Put and all these other nations that are to come against Israel. They think that this is the Messiah that God has promised. In reality, what we understand is the warrior aspect of Christ's reign is to release us to release us from sin to relinquish the the chains to destroy sin that is the warrior that we serve 
Now there will be in, in the end of times that you know Christ will come and establish his kingdom. And there's text around, you know, a final great battle between you know, God versus Satan. So there's stuff that we will unpack when we get to that part of uh, Revelation. And uh, I, I think even in Daniel, and I, I still need to read up on some of it. So forgive me for not being fully vested in Daniel just yet. <laughs> but there's going to be some interesting stuff there. So um, that is the you know, leading up to verse 23. And then we get into chapter 39 now. And I'm going to read the first few verses for you. But again, what I really am trying to encourage us, you know, is studying through this, is looking at the text, looking at some commentators, some study Bibles, some, you know, context surrounding what is really going on here. And can we actually point this into a measure of eschatology is this really a text that is for the end of times is this a text that is really saying that this will happen against the entire world and so far from just looking at the you know quick walkthrough that we did in chapter 38 it appears that this this prophecy is coming against israel there's not a directive time there's not a specific you know point that this will happen um we at the time that this was written, we can, you know, estimate that it was a future, uh, a distant future, that is, uh, event, something that would happen probably well off. And, you know, and, and, and oftentimes many people would look at um, <clears throat> the year 71 AD, where the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem is this moment. And, and they do that. And so what, what there's a, a specific view on eschatology and it's called uh, preterism and in this view there's full and partial full believes that um you know most of the events or all and i again this is a rough off the top of my head definition i know partial is a little bit better but i don't i can't quite define the full preterism whether it's all the eschatology events are have already been completed uh, or only certain ones from certain portions. Now, a partial preterism is just that some of the events that Christ spoke about in, in the book of Revelation and prior uh, have been fulfilled and been completed. Some of them, so like, so the partial would believe that this event in Ezekiel would point us towards the destruction in 71 AD as being completed prophecy. Therefore, this isn't, you know, a move towards... Uh, the eschatology, the end of the time. Now, many people will say that being a full preterist would uh, bring you into um, uh, heresy because it has the impression that we are actually in the new heavens, in the new earth. And uh, obviously that can't be because there's still sin rampant here. Now, partial doesn't bring you into that. It just is a hermeneutical understanding of the end of times. Uh, R.C. Sproul, for instance, was a partial preterist. So again, um, views that I don't generally myself dig into very often, um, just because amongst everything else that I do, it's just not another thing that I can <laughs> spend the time to dig into just yet. So I kind of wanted to bring that to light um, as we kind of high level view over 38 and 39. Now, 39 is a longer chapter uh, as we look. So I would encourage you to grab your Bible and read it. It's 29 verses. Um, so it shouldn't take too long, but a few minutes, read through it. Uh, and again, I also encourage you, read the book of Ezekiel. If you have the opportunity, read the whole book. It's tough to read. Uh, it's not the easiest to read because of all the prophecies in that. But it's a good book, and it paints some amazing pictures of God's sovereignty. So uh, I would recommend you know getting like an audio Bible and listening and reading along and uh, and getting into it that way. So. We're going to look at 39. We're going to look at some of these verses here. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief uh, chief prince of Meshach and, and Tubal. And I will turn you about and drive you forward and bring you up from the utmost of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from the from your left hand and make your arrows drop out of your right hand. You shall fall. On the mountains of Israel, you and all of your hordes and the people who are with you, I will give you to birds of 
prey and every sort and every beast of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declared the Lord God. I will send fire on Magog, on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. End in verse 6 there. So, uh, some commentaries and some notes pointing us here through this chapter. Um, there's some interesting use of vocabulary, and I kind of want to paint, you know, I want to I get down here and look at this text really quick. So, verse 17. I'm going to read this before we look at some of these notes that I've got. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of prey, uh, I'm sorry, to the birds of every sort and to the beasts of the field, assemble and come, gather from all around to the sacrificial feast I am preparing for you, a great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel, and you shall eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of he goats, of bulls, all of them, fat beasts of Bashan, and you shall eat fat till you are filled, and drink blood till you are drunk at the sacrificial feast that I'm preparing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with the horses and chariots, and mighty men of all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. So some uh, graphic paintings here that we are getting in this, just this little portion of text. Um, it's again, the way these prophetic books are written, um, paint a very vivid picture. Now, you know, we discussed briefly in a few prior episodes that, you know, when reading prophetic language, especially apocalyptic language, uh, we have to understand a greater context to it. And are these things a literal interpretation or do we look for maybe, uh, a, representation do we look at how these you know how this author may be using certain words or phrases to maybe tell us a different story so uh that is something to always consider especially when reading these books now the last portion of verse or sorry last portion of chapter 20 39 i can get my words out of my mouth correctly looking at chapter uh, verse 25 through verse 29 this is the lord's restoration of israel so just to kind of look at this first verse thus says the lord god now i will restore the fortunes of jacob and have mercy on the whole house of israel i will be jealous for my holy name so god delivers wrath and judgment against israel and then turns and restores israel that is a, a kind of a notion that we've seen played out time and time again um so that is, you know, kind of the story of Israel in, in, in its entirety. Just these few verses here is that, you know, Israel is disobedient. Israel falls away from God's, um, from, from God's grace. And then God brings his wrath and judgment, exiles Israel. Israel repents and comes back and God restores them and blesses them for a few generations. And then they do it again. So. Again, there's so much context to these two chapters. There, there's so much meat to unpack. And, you know, I, I've got some study Bibles and commentaries open on my screen, and they go verse by verse. And there's, you know, just paragraphs of material on verses, uh, on, on chapters 38 and 39. And, and that doesn't even get into, <laughs> you know, chapter 40 where we see the vision of a new temple. And so this is another um, concept of a third temple that is often used sometimes. So there's so much, and, and I hate to just say it at that and then just kind of leave it because, you know, I could probably spend, you know, five or six episodes just looking at these two chapters and looking at how it ties into all these other views. Um, but what I can look at this and say, you know, by just reading it, these verses and reading these two chapters and just kind of looking at some of these notes, I know that this has no part in, you know, like it, it, it somehow some will use, you know, particular verses from 38 and say, well, this is pointing towards, you know, an attack on the United States or how this is looking towards an attack today on Israel or whatever the event is that they're painting. 
And what we know is this is God's judgment against Israel. Even if we um, back up into verse 37, I'm sorry, verse 37, goodness gracious, chapter 37, we see one of the most beautiful depictions of God's sovereignty, the valley of the dry bones. Um, and then down in verse 15, I will be their God and they shall be my people. So we've got verse chapter 37 in here um, that's kind of nestled in here um, in between these prophecies. And it fits rather well because, again, what we see in, in chapter 38 and 39 is this prophecy against the people of Israel. And then it 39 wraps up that the Lord is going to restore Israel. And so as, as I've exhaustedly said, every episode, context means so much. And um, we have to know that when we study eschatology, we cannot just cherry pick verses and allow those to be our footnote to understand this, this particular topic. Now, we can look at single verses or small sections of the Bible and use that for for you know, uh, doctrine of, uh, in certain elements. But when it comes to eschatology, um, this is a very, very broad topic, and we need a bigger um, focal point to understand kind of, you know, this this big picture that's painted, because not everything in the Bible uh, is in related towards the end of times, or is it in relation to, obviously, modern times, where people love to just get on YouTube and you know, calculate based upon, you know, the, the weeks of Daniel. And then, well, we're here and there in, in Revelation. And so now we know all these things are happening. Or, you know, for instance, um, just recently in the news, uh, President Trump had signed uh, a peace deal with some nations in the Middle East. And so, again, this moment, you know, every, and, and, and I'm not trying to pick on them, but a lot of dispensational people, their red flags are going off because now this is another kickoff event type thing. It's peace treaty signing, and this is going to start this. And it's, you know, especially it's really focusing more on those who loved the left behind books, you know, and, and more or less, I, I wouldn't say if you're dispensational, um, this, you know, falls into your camp, but there's a very extreme segment in that view that love the, the left behind books. They're very much fear mongering peoples. You know, everything's about the end of times, every event happening, the, the birth of a red heifer, you know, oh the their plans on talking um to build a third temple or this, you know, these priests are being trained in sacrificials, you know, uh law and all this kind of stuff. And it's just it's exhausting. And so what we have to really dig into is the context of, of this text. And I really just love how Ezekiel paints this prophecy here in chapters 38 and 39. And then he concludes it with these four verses about the Lord restoring Israel. He turns around and says in verse 29, And I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. So now you can pull a lot out of just that single verse. You know, um, you know, when is this restoration going to happen? Is this a, you know, again, this whole prophecy is inclusion is included together. It's, you know, a, a period of time that Israel will be, you know, destroyed. It'll have enemies on every side. Great battles will be will, will happen. So is this a text that can be used towards the end of days? Possibly. Um, again, I'm not an you know, an end of time scholar. I'm not a, you know, not, I haven't studied this text for 40 years. Uh, I'm just looking at it really at face value and saying, you know, if I'm reading scripture, not necessarily from a literal perspective, but just if I'm reading scripture and, and from my uh, defined hermeneutics that I have and how I interpret scripture, you know, using that hermeneutical method. I don't think that this has anything to do with the end of times. Now, there's people out there that will tell me that I'm flat out wrong, and that's perfectly fine. Again, eschatology is not primary doctrine. It's semi-secondary. There's an understanding that as a Christian, we know that Christ will return. He will take his believers and establish his church. That is 
that is doctrine. That is, you know, important. Um, I'd probably, I'd say that's primary doctrine. But the secondary pieces, what I'm alluding to is, you know, the four views or how do some of this, how can some of the scripture be interpreted, you know, in, in, on side A or side B? How is it playing into, you know, the end of times? And then you get into like chapter 40 here with the this vision of a new temple. So there's so much going on in the Old Testament in in regards to the end of times, right? There's 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 a ton of texts like this that can be d- interpreted to mean the literal end of times. But most often what we are getting is text that is pointing us towards the coming judgment against Israel uh, or it's pointing us towards perhaps the coming Messiah the first time in Christ. And so we have to understand what is the greater context of this? Why is, why is this prophet telling us this event? Why is God revealing this to this particular prophet? So those are things that we all have to consider. So that, uh, I'm going to kind of wrap up on these two chapters uh, for Ezekiel. Now there's, Obviously, I wanted to talk about Daniel, but I'm already 50 minutes into this episode. And so I think I'm going to make next week's Daniel episode perhaps a little bit longer. Um, I might, and if it does get really long, uh, I might chop it and do two parts and do like a Friday release and then maybe a Monday morning release. I haven't decided yet. I was, like I said, I only wanted to spend maybe 25 minutes here on these two chapters, but uh, sometimes I get long winded and trying to describe something. And, and really, again, what I want to try to paint is not necessarily that this is, an, you know, a text that can be or should be used with a particular view on the end of time. What we need to understand is that there's greater context here. And and, and, and can it be? Probably and absolutely, uh, depending on your hermeneutics. Um, and, I, and again, I like I said, when we get into the New Testament, we will see Jesus referencing Old Testament texts. We will see the, uh, Paul referencing Old Testament texts. And we will see John coming back to the Old Testament text as well. So we will visit and revisit this text here um, a lot. So don't think that I'm um, skipping out and not covering it. I'm just taking this from a, you know, from looking at it from an Old Testament perspective without the New Testament in light now so we will come back to this i am sure time and time again as i know that there's plenty of texts that we will talk about again that we've already discussed you know for instance the text in um in luke where jesus is talking about sodom so we're going to revisit that text a little bit so we'll, we'll be able to now then put those pieces of the puzzle together and and as i've said on my last episode you know, using eschatology, it's not to take these verses or take this two or three verses here and there and then cutting them into a certain puzzle piece to fit your viewpoint. Context matters, hermeneutics matters, scripture matters, and the integrity of scripture matters. We have to understand this as as a whole, not things that we can cherry pick and break apart and put together in our own order. That's not how scripture is given to us. So that's why I, I, I really urge caution when we get into certain studies and certain people talking about eschatology because there's just so many wrong ways to go about it. Now, I'm not saying my way is the right way, and I'm not saying their way is necessarily the wrong way either, but I'm just urging caution, uh, especially when we start to see people. Uh, when, when, when they create an idea and then they use scripture to support that idea versus using scripture to come to a conclusion of. So, for instance, if I'm going to say, I'm going to look at these two chapters, I am in no way going to say, well, these are obviously in reference to the end of times and the second coming of Christ. And, you know, this is the final battle against Israel. And, you know, um, this is Armageddon type thing. Uh, where the last battle occurs. And there's some that, that say, you know, the battle of Ezekiel 38 is going to happen and it's going to be all this. And they, they make this big elaborate battle plan out of it. And 
And those are the things that I would just urge to be cautious around. So, uh, I again, I know I probably didn't do these two chapters enough justice. There's so much in these two that we can can discuss and and, and dig into. And it's interesting because when I'm on my Bible study with my patrons, uh, we're in Mark chapter seven now. We've been doing this for months, every other week, and it's funny because we'll go section by section. Now these two chapters are one big, you know, section from 38 down to 39 verse 24. It's all one big section. And so it's one continual prophecy here. And in, in, in the study of Mark that we're doing, you know, each portion is, is, you know, can be a number of verses, you know, five verses, eight verses, you know, however long. And we can spend 20 or 30 minutes as a group just talking about a few verses. And and then by the time we know it, the hour that we schedule is already over with. And we've already gone through eight verses. And and so, again, this is something that we can visit, revisit, and revisit again and, and still not get, get concluded or be finished looking at. This is text. And that's the beauty of the Bible, right? The text of the Bible is something that we can revisit until the day we die. And we still, until we meet Christ, have all the answers. We still won't have them all until we meet him. So I'm going to close this out for the for this episode today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we will revisit this, I promise you. And, and, and then we will probably dig into how some of the um, views will actually utilize this text as we move through the New Testament. Uh, we'll probably look at that, especially when we get into the book of Revelation. So, cause we'll revisit those views as well when we get there. So again, if you're interested in supporting this ministry, by all means, uh, hit me up. You can check out, uh, the patron link, the Patreon link on my bio on reform underscore lifestyle on Instagram. And you can, um, get in and, and subscribe to support this ministry and then jump into these Bible studies with us and get immersed in the word of God. Uh, we are going to do a, you know, um, combined Bible study next year. We're going to, or Bible reading plan, I should say. We're going to read the whole Bible chronologically starting in January, um, as a, as a group. So we'll be posting the scriptures, um, on our Discord server and we'll go through those just kind of, uh, you know, each day of the year. And we'll be talking about that as well as kind of like a little, you know, oh, you know, you read Genesis chapter one today. What, you know, what did you get out of it? And just, you know, light conversation, a few little thoughts. And then tomorrow's Genesis two type thing, right? So just some fun things that I'm trying to bring forward to, uh, to those who support this ministry. So, and again, thank you for listening. I hope that this episode was just at least starting to wet your teeth and get you ready for what we're going to get into uh, in the New Testament stuff. Ezekiel is a hard book. I said that from the very beginning. Um, but uh, I want to spend, you know, I want to give it the appropriate amount of time and then, and then get into Daniel and spend you know, the appropriate amount of time there. So that's it for me today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys have a blessed week. I will see you all next Friday morning. God bless. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 